Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. Yeah, I promised to get this one up a couple of days ago, but there was so much to put into it, couldn't get it all together in time, and trying to upload this thing online was a royal pain in the butt. But a lot of people have been asking me to put together an episode about aiming, and I've done them in the past, but it seems there's a lot of confusion going on right now. And as I said, I've covered aiming on previous podcasts, but of late, I've come to find that a lot of people, and I mean a lot, have issues with their aiming process simply out of a lack of understanding of how the aiming process is supposed to work in the first place. More importantly, what it's composed of and when it should go into action, and I think that's one of the biggest problems. Now, if you follow what a lot of people online say, then you hear the following, pick a spot, Hold steady, begin your release process, and wait for the surprise release. Uh, Well, if you've listened to my previous podcast, you're familiar with my thoughts on the surprise release. Yeah, no. You should always be aware and have total control. But that's not what this podcast is about. You can go back and listen to one of our previous podcasts about controlled shooting. But the fact is, most people have issues with aiming because their system is incomplete. Or better yet, like I said before, a lack of understanding of the order of operations to get you to aim in the first place. So what am I talking about? To be more clear, I guess you could say that aiming should be looked at as more of a module. We've been through the building blocks of form, stance, hold, did a whole thing about that on another podcast. They all come in a separate order, and if you think of it, One unlocks the other. So let's start with this. You can't begin to aim until you know what part of your sequence it's going to fall into. Nothing proves this more than a new stand release called the Onyx Click or something like that. I forget exactly what it is. In fact, it's one of the reasons I decided to put the subject together for today's show as I had one of the adult students I have come up to me and ask if he should order the release. Now, there's particular student of mine, follower, whatever you want to call him, takes lessons from me occasionally. And he has one bad habit. It's that whenever something comes out new, he watches a lot of YouTube, he believes that he might be able to improve his shooting through aggressive spending. And this is something that happens to a lot of people. So I did my usual. I go through my list. Why do you want to get it? Obviously, he he thinks it might be able to help his shooting. What's it going to get you for that $299 or whatever the price is for this thing right now? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like, let's try to justify why you need this thing. And actually, I know the purpose of the release and... In fact, Joel Turner did a great thing coming up with it. It will help a lot of people if they understand the concept of what its purpose truly is. But I'll get to that later. So back to the sequence thing. The usual sequence, like I said before, is take your stance, draw back, aim. That's where it comes in, and then fire. Okay, that's fine. It's kind of... I don't know, broad the way it's described, not exactly in-depth. And actually, it'll only get you so far, and here's why. 
with aiming, I see a lot of issues caused by not beginning your aim at the proper time. I mentioned that right from the get-go. And once it's begun, what priority does it take in your sequences that compose your shot? So it's not really a thing of step one, two, three, aim, fire, where once you go from one thing to the other to the other, it just continues in a block order, and the blocks fall down as you go through the next one, and then you just finally get to your firing. And the whole thing about this is, yes, there's an order in which it comes in, but it doesn't just fall to the side after you've gotten to that and then fired. Aiming is a process that you're going to have to switch back and forth from all the time. And I explained this to students of mine. Eventually, they do understand it. I have to explain it different for everybody. I'll try to make it as clear as possible in this podcast. And the reason I'm saying that is aiming is not just a step. Aiming is part of the overall solution, yes. But with aiming, if you don't be aware of what his place is, in your overall concept of how you're shooting, what's going to happen is you're going to let it drop off in one place, something else will go on, and before you get to that point where the arrow is leaving the bow, something's going to happen. And I mentioned before to other people, like the bow's not hitting me, they come to me and they say, I don't know what's going on, but the, you know, the, the bow is not hitting behind the pin. But as I tell them, um, listen, Snoopy, the bow always hits behind the pin. It's what you're doing that's causing that pin to move. And again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but you control what that arrow does all the time. And once you understand this, because what I'm going to explain in the coming minutes as I go through this thing will make it clear, you'll be able to mesh it in there so that you have a complete controlled solution and you never let it falter at one end or the other. So for purposes of clarity, I'm going to begin with something that's more familiar. And I do this, like I said, with all the students. And I try to make the, as I try to make things easier for them to understand. Let's say you have a rifle. Yeah, yeah, gun's bad. I know the whole thing. Whatever. It's an, ex- it's an example. Everyone knows you frame your shot, load the round, close the action, disengage the safety, aim, and fire. Simple, straightforward, and generally, as long as you hold steady, control your breathing, and concentrate, you will hit your mark. Now, for some reason, people seem to think that firing a bow is so much more complicated. And in turn, they flip things around a bit, and therein lies the source of a lot of problems when it comes to their accuracy. Now, I mentioned framing in a rifle, okay? You frame your target, so you you acknowledge your target, or as they say, you address the target, whatever term you want to use for it. You address the target, you raise, like I said, after you've done everything to get the mechanism that's going to make the firing solution work, namely loading the round, closing the action, taking off the safety, 
Then you start your aiming process. Okay, so you've done everything already. Then you frame, aim, fire. Okay. If you follow that, okay, with an implement like a firearm, because it's basically sitting there, and if you have it on a shooting bench, it holds itself and does that. If you have it leaned against something, if you're shooting freehand, it's a little bit more like shooting a bow because any little movement you make will throw it off. But it's pretty much straightforward. Now, with archery, believe it or not, it's almost the same with some small differences. Okay? So I'm going to start with some people, particularly with hinge releases, and we all know what I think of those. But if that's what you like to shoot, that's your flavor, fine. No problem. Again, everyone should shoot what they like, what they're comfortable with. Some people like it because of the way it looks. Some people like it because, oh, I'm just used to shooting this forever. Okay, fine, dandy. Doesn't make a difference. But the fact is, use what makes you happy and then learn to use it properly. So... The proper sequence should be, in archery, it should be this. It should be frame, okay? You're standing on the line. You see your target. So now you've addressed the target. You've picked it up, okay? This is what they call your preamble to your aiming that's going to come later on. But you can't start to aim at something unless you frame it first. That seems to be lost on a lot of folks. Where I try to break people out of this is, okay, fine. When, if you want to do this and prove that you can do it without framing it, close your eyes and draw back and tell me where you're going to be on the target. Who knows what you'll be pointing at? Because remember, small movements, I don't care how long you've been doing this, could result in you pointing at the right place, the wrong place, very easily. You don't know where it's going to come up. So, frame. Address the target. Look at what your, what your intended area of focus is going to be. Okay? Then, draw the bow back. Now, some people say, put the scope on your target, draw it back. I get how that could make it easier to frame a shot. The reason I don't like that is because it can make you twist your form up. What does that mean? Well, like I said, it's... The beginning of your beginning your aim at the proper time, okay? And if all the solution doesn't come together, by the time you're ready to start aiming, you're gonna have a problem. And this goes for recurve shooters, this goes for compound shooters, it doesn't make a difference. So when you put your scope now, the one thing that this might not apply to, and it doesn't, is if you are shooting a static distance. Meaning, if somebody's out there shooting USA Archery or FIDA, as it was 
previously called. And you're always shooting 50 meters. We've already set your peep at a particular height. Basically, when you draw back, you're already on the 50-meter target. But if you're not doing that, then what's going to happen is if you go ahead and keep your scope on there, most of the time, unless the person knows what they're doing, and I'll explain how to fix this later, most of the time, your form, as far as when you draw back and when you anchor, if that target is not where you're used to seeing it or not at an angle or a distance that's comfortable, your form is going to get a little janky trying to do that. So you might have your arm higher than normal when you draw back. You know, let's just say that you're a 20-yard shooter and you always shoot 20 yards, but now all of a sudden you're going out and you're shooting 37, 57, whatever it is, you're not used to adjusting how you're going to aim for that, how you're going to anchor for that. So there are two schools of thought with this. And I don't want to get too into the weeds with this, but I'll go over it briefly. Because people are already thinking, well, what does this have to do with aiming? It has everything to do with it. If you're the type of person that when you draw back, okay, if you were taught old school, as they say, they were like, draw back straight and then be the little teacup where you lean back or lean down to put it on the target. And that's fine, and it's great for everything up until tree stand shooting when you find out it doesn't work. If the target is close to you in a tree stand, that is never going to work, and I explained that in a previous podcast, and if you want to know more about it, I'll do a whole other thing about it. But the little teacup thing, moving the whole turret up and down, okay, within certain distances will work. So basically, you're not putting your scope on the target. You're just drawing back, and then you're adjusting like a little teacup, going up and down, leaning leaning everything together. So you're moving the whole shoulder frame and arm frame together, like a turret, up and down. And depending on what angles you're shooting at, depending on the distance you're shooting at, you can have a great degree of success building like that. And that's the way when I have really young kids or people who are really green with shooting, I teach them like that. I'm not trying to confuse the hell out of them yet. So, but doing it like that, you are not, I repeat, not going to frame it first inside the scope. You frame it by addressing the target. You know where it is. You draw back. And then when everything's lined up, you move the whole setup as one piece. You find your target. And then you proceed with your next steps. Now, for people who have been shooting for a much longer time, longer period of time, if you're shooting angles, that sort of thing, and all of a sudden, let's just say that you're shooting downhill, 30 degrees downhill. And if you do that thing where you frame with your scope, well, tell me how easy it's going to be, because it is. I've seen it a hundred times, a thousand times actually. If you go ahead and just drop your front arm and then all of a sudden you draw back, look in the mirror when you do that or have somebody record you. I guarantee you that the way your shoulders are lined up and all that is not the same. Now, when you sight in a bow, you're sighting in based on shooting the same exact form Every single time. And people seem to forget that. 
So, yes, I can hit right behind the pin if I'm using the same form I used when I sighted in at a given distance. However, I change a variable like dropping my arm down and expecting it to go in the same way. The pressures at which you're pulling are different. The angle at which you're shooting is different. Nothing is going to make any sense. So you wind up with people shooting off the target. Wind up with people shooting low, shooting high. Any number of things can happen. So for the aim, you must first frame it, come to your anchor, and on my next podcast, I'll adjust, I'll address how to adjust your anchor for that because when you're shooting shorter or longer distances, you have to adjust your anchor. Some people do it with the nose button and they do it wrong and they get bad results and they say the nose button thing doesn't work. It does. You need to know what you're doing with it. Next episode, I'll explain that. But for now, let's just say you frame, you anchor properly. Again, listen to the next podcast. I'll tell you all about that. Anchor properly, right? Now, next step is you transfer to hold. Very important. Draw back. You transfer the load into your back. Why is it important to transfer a load into your back? Some people are like, oh, I don't shoot with back tension. Like Everyone should shoot with back tension, whether you're using a trigger or a resistance release. doesn't make a difference. Because if you try to hold that thing with your arm, your hand is going to change position, all kinds of stuff. But if you just relax everything and transfer the load to your shoulder, imagine how easy it is to hold that now covered that before i'm actually going to do a little video on how to do that yes i know i've been promising videos for a long time i'm actually getting to them people anyway you transfer to hold now here comes the next step which people always forget so to briefly review frame draw transfer to hold Okay, reframe. So you haven't done anything except for you know where the target is. Now, when you draw back, take your scope or your pin or whatever it is that you're shooting on the end of your bow and place it on the target where you want it to be. Okay, so you've already transferred to hold. Now what you're going to do is you're going to bring your peep into play and frame your, your sight with your peep. If you're a recurve shooter, this is the step, since you don't have a peep sight, where you bring your string into the line of your eye however it is that you will prefer to shoot. Some people bring it and they make a T-cross with that, with their pin. Number of ways to do it. Whatever that way is that you selected as a recurver, that's what you're going to do now. So now you've reframed and brought the peep or the string into line. Okay. Focus on the target. You have to pick a spot. Millions of times you'll hear that. Pick a spot. Pick a spot. Pick a spot. Shooting at a big target and not picking a spot, it's going to result in a really, really crazy wide group. Pick a spot on the target. If you're shooting at a paper target, 
it'll have an X or whatever it is, depending on the size of your pin. When you're aiming and depending on the distance, that pin's going to accommodate a certain amount of the center of the target. But still, you have to pick a spot on the target. Pick your spot. Okay? Now, once you've gotten to that step, you have to start thinking of it like this. It is in a constant state of awareness. No, I'm not talking about some deep meditation thing. I'm talking about once you've gotten that pin on the target, you start your pulling process, your firing process, only once you verify that everything else is good. And it takes about a split second to do. But if you break it down, boom, I draw back, I transfer to hold, I reframe, I get everything in line. I re-verify that everything is good. Am I pulling back all the way? Am I good? Am I balanced? All that. That all goes through your head in a split second. The systems are all re-verifying themselves. Once you say to yourself, I am good, then the, the stoplight that's in your head says, ready, set, go. Start your firing process. All the time, you're going to train your body to evaluate, is something falling apart? Is something falling out? See, that whole thing I teach about I teach about not using a surprise shot is because you have to stay in control at all times. So if all of a sudden something breaks down in the shot sequence, you can stop and either correct it or let down entirely. Because if you don't or you can't, what's going to happen? You ever see somebody double clutch on a shot? Like, ooh, he almost let go. He pulled back again and then he fired. Well... If you double clutch and you correct, that's fine. But if you double clutch, pull back, and then just smash it and let it go, that's not fine. So you reframe, you line up, everything's go. All the time being aware of your surroundings and everything. Like I said, what if somebody were to run in front of you and all that? That's where this whole craziness is of focus on nothing else but the target and then just wait for the surprise. If someone did that and somebody ran in front of you, would you really be able to stop? You couldn't. If you're a hunter and suddenly something else goes on and you're not aware of your surroundings, bad things can happen. So that's what I'm talking about with this. Have to be constantly aware even during, even during your aiming process, going from aiming to firing. Now, the most common thing about aiming that people, for some reason, screw up a lot is do you concentrate on the pin or do you concentrate on the target? So, I'm in my, we're going to talk about this like it's a submarine, I've acquired my firing solution. Reframed, lined up, picked my spot, all systems are go. I've got my pin on the spot. If you try to hold that pin there, you are in for a rough time because it's just going to move. And I don't care what kind of rectangle you're using. If you're using a dot, a circle, an up pin, a down pin, a side pin, trying to hold it on the spot, it's going to move. So given the fact that it's 
constantly going to move, you don't want to be trying to pull it back into place. Your brain is the most complicated computer in the universe. Until aliens land and tell me that something's different, your brain is always going to be the most complicated computer in the universe. And it is going through hundreds of thousands of computations a second. It's keeping you breathing. It's keeping you balanced. It's keeping you doing all this. If you try to give more power to one of those programs, mean, meaningly, oh, I got to hold it on the target. Something else is going to fail. It's meant to be an equal distribution. So what you need to do, and I'm sure everyone's heard it before, that famous phrase, trust the float. And again, if you want a perfect example of this, put a target on your wall, stand a couple of feet away, pick up a pencil with an eraser, put the eraser on the center of the target, and try your damnedest to hold it there by concentrating on the eraser, which would be your pin. That sucker is going to jump up, down, left, and right, do the hurly-curvy, everything on you. But now, if I just put it there on the center and I concentrate on my target, that one spot of my target, basically looking through my pin or looking through my eraser, and I'm only concentrating on that, your eye is going to think that that pin is just staying in place. Believe it or not, it's still moving, but it returns to center all the time. The degree to which that's going to be floating around and jiggling and all that, it has to do with a lot of different factors, including if you're shooting a scope at magnification, how much magnification you got on there. It's a topic for another time. Don't get me started on that one because I see people doing some crazy stuff and wondering why. What kind of stabilization setup you have? Is it bad for you? Is it good for you? Is it not doing enough? Is it doing too much? Is it creating a bigger problem? Yes, it's completely possible. Again, another time, other topics I've covered before. All these factors go into how that thing is swinging. And you can get it to swing very little. But the idea is put it on the spot, transfer your eye to that spot, Concentrate on the spot while viewing everything else around you and your body's constantly checking what's going on. If you concentrate on the spot, the float's always coming back to the same spot. You go ahead, you fire, and you will be good to go because you're keeping a command. Doesn't mean that you're just punching a trigger when you think it's on it. You are squeezing the trigger and you can stop at any time you want. It's not a problem for you to stop at any time you want because you have complete control over it. This is why I don't believe in the surprise thing because by shooting a surprise shot, you're giving up control, hoping that all of your systems fool themselves and let you do the right thing. But again, I've explained that one in the past before. No need to beat a dead horse with that. So what I'm saying is you're focusing on the target, Accept the float. It's always going to come back. Everything is still good. Lights are still green. You can execute. It goes off. It hits. Okay? Now, that is the sequence for how you're doing this. The problem that I get with a lot of folks, 
okay, is that they go right to draw, fire. Sometimes they skip the transfer to hold. Draw, aim, fire. And they're really not double-checking all their systems are working together. It sounds like a hokey-dokey explanation. Oh, yeah, well, you know, you're going to be aware of your surroundings. Of course I am. Really? Take If I do some tests that I do with my shooters, a lot of my girls, what I'll do is I have a little stop sign, okay, that's on a stick. And when they draw back, they transfer to hold, they start the aiming process. I will walk up right within the corner vision of their eye, and I'll just flash that stop and hold it there. If they're constantly analyzing what's going on around them, they'll know, stop, oh, let down. It simulates something happening during the process of the aiming and release. And they can stop it. Eventually, when they tune their systems, and I'm not talking about the bow, when they tune their system, them, their mind, they can notice that and be able to let down without constantly being aware of looking around. And that works fine, okay? So now we're going to talk about once you have that down, okay, what happens when I want to extend my distance? And I said it once. I will say it again. Shooting 10 yards is the same as shooting 100. And some people look at me like I have my head back on, on backwards when I say that to them. But the fact of the matter is, if you're doing your processes correctly, okay, correctly, then the only factors that will knock you off of shooting that two-inch group at 100, the same way you shoot it at 20, are weather and wind, because that will affect how the group shows up, and the tuning of the bow. So if the bow is a little off, the further out you go, it may not hit the same place, But you get the point. Now, of course, there's always that factor of mistakes are magnified the further you shoot. So if you're aiming, if something is off, like you're not aiming at a spot, that mistake, because you're not being finite in where you're going to put the arrow it's going to magnify itself the further and further out you go, resulting in larger groups. And it's a very fine thing because, I mean, I've seen people who just put the pin on something, they're concentrating on the pin, well, they don't realize that they're moving around doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then once I tell them, listen, just burn a hole in the target. Once the pin is there, you accept the float and just does it. Once you combine it with the proper spot in the system, the frame, the reframe and all that, the problem of gigantic groups at long at long range, as long as the other issues with bow tuning and wind and weather are taken into account, goes away. It's all fine. Now, that's for shooting paper. That's for shooting 3D targets. Doesn't make a difference. Where it comes in, it makes it a little harder, 
is if you can't pick that spot to aim. 3D targets are often a problem unless you're shooting a safari tournament where they have a big orange dot on them. Even if it's a tiny orange dot, it's still an aiming reference. So for 3D, you have to know where you're going to aim, how you're going to place it there. On the Bow Junkie podcast, they just did a couple of really, really great episodes with Jack Wallace where he explains the difference between aiming in 3D, you know, how they shoot in 3D, what they take into account versus shooting paper. And one of the things that he mentioned on one of those episodes is that if you shoot at a bag target, it's not the same thing as shooting at a 3D target or an animal or anything like that. So the reason for that is on a bag target, you have an artificial spot. But on the animal targets, unless it's safari, like I said, you don't. So picking that spot and sticking to it becomes harder. And there's all kinds of different ways to get to that goal. But again, it's a different type of shooting. So what I would suggest for people, if you're going to do something where you might be going from paper to 3D and you, ha- and you find that on paper I'm okay, but I'm 3D, I suck. It's not you that sucks. It's the way you've managed to transition from one to the other. So the common example I make, and this is for deer hunters or hunters in general, is that Mr. Buck who walks across your path that you're trying to harvest, I hate that word harvest, it's you're hunting him, you're harvesting him, he's not a corn, a stalk of corn, you get it. But Mr. Buck, who's walking across you, last I checked, doesn't come with a bullseye on the side of his vitals. So, you're forced to aim at a spot. You might not, not normally ever do that if you're just shooting paper targets. If you're shooting 3D, you'll be more comfortable with it. But if you need to go from paper to that and you want to improve your aiming, because remember, it doesn't have to do with your shooting. Your shooting's the same whether you're shooting at a brick wall or shooting at an, uh, a live animal target or a 3D target. It's all the same. The base form and shooting is all the same. Where it comes down to the difference is aiming. If you're shooting recurve and you've been used to shooting at 20 meters or 18 meters, 20 yards, and now you're venturing into the 30-meter th- stuff. You might have a problem because you're not used to going a little bit further, but if you maintain everything the same, you're going to have success. But if I'm going to take that same recurver and introduce them into field shooting, where all of a sudden now they might be shooting at an animal target, paper animal target, or something else that they're not used to, like the standard 80-centimeter bullseye? Well, now it's a little different. Again, pick a spot. The shooting is the same. Nothing is changing your mechanism. The only thing that's going to change is your aiming is going to accommodate for it. So I'll give you one tip on what's really good practice for this. If you're shooting paper targets, this really applies to the paper shooters and you want to transition to some other type of target that you're not used to, or 3D, or you're a hunter, and you want to make sure you can still hit a 
hit an animal when it comes time for it, the best thing to do is to take your target and flip it over to the white side where there's no target on it at all. And you need to pick a spot in the middle of that white sheet. Now, this is all after you sight it in at a vertical line and a whole bit. You pick a target center of that white sheet. Now you're not relying on that bullseye to be there. Your aiming sequence is still the same. Frame, draw, hold, reframe, line it all up. Pick a spot in the middle, fire. Nothing has changed. You're still picking a spot. Whether or not it's a minute spot in the middle of the target, since it's all blank paper, or it's flipped the other way around, and there's a little X there, the center of a yellow, whatever it is. You switch your concentration from the pin or the spot to the center of the target, trust the float, and engage. Meantime, you still have control over everything, so if something breaks down, you can fix it. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions on this. I'll be happy to answer them if you just email me. It's not a big deal. But, again, it's where it falls in the aim. Now, I mentioned before that that other release that came out, the Onyx Clicker or Click, whatever they call it. So I promise I would explain what that thing's about. And Joel Turner worked on that thing, and you know Joel Turner preaches command shooting. Not punching, same thing I say, command shooting. I mean, you have control of everything at all times. And you would think, why would someone who preaches command shooting want anything to do with something with a click? Because that's a button release that has a click in it. Why would you want that? Well, I get a lot of people coming to me who shoot hinges, okay? And here's the problem. When they shoot a hinge, whether they disable the click, and you wonder why they disable it in the first place, they're scared of the click. It makes them freak out. I'll explain why in a second. Or you're using the click. The problem they run into is they get into their procedure to, to start their shot and aiming, but they do it too soon because they get to the aiming part, but they have an extra step because they're using that type of release that they forget. And that is get to the point, if it's a clicker, where the click goes off. That means that now the release has entered a stage where it could fire. And what happens is people start their aiming before that click goes off. And what happens? They get all jumpy. I know some people, the click hits, they just go bananas and it just fires. Because it will throw your rhythm off a little bit unless you've been doing it for a long time. Some releases have a harder click than another. Some of them you can reduce the, the, the way the click goes on. And other ones you can reverse it entirely, remove the click. But then you're still in the same boat. Because then I don't know when it's going to go off. So what they did with this click release is he put a click in there so that you know with a button when you're squeezing so you get to the squeeze you're not aiming yet click you know that you're now in the range for when it can go off you start your aim continue to pull boom it goes off 
So essentially what you've done is you've taken the warning sign that exists in a hinge and put it in to a button. And people are going to be like, I got away from a hinge so I don't have to deal with this. Again, it's not your cup of tea. Great. How it's going to help people is it's going to tell them my release, whether it's a hinge or it's a button in this case, is ready to go. At that point, I can re-verify everything's up, really start my aim because now I know that once I pull through this thing, it's going off. Like in a heartbeat, it'll go off and you can set it for lighter, deeper into the shot, however you want. But that's the purpose of that release. Do you need that? Completely up to you. The way I train people is I will put a piece of string in their hand with their release. Whether it's a back tension or it's a resistance or it's a button. All my girls shoot buttons. I just taught them that way. And you will learn your release. I've said time and time again, you have to learn your equipment. Once you learn your equipment, you know exactly what it's going to do and when it's going to do it. And if you want to make it harder so it goes off later, you can do that. If you want to make it softer so it goes off almost right away, you can do that. And once you know what it's going to do, whether you have that click or not, you start your aim and you know what's going on. So it might be like, I said it's so hard. All of a sudden, I know that if I pull, 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 I can feel because I've tested it. I've worked with it. I practice with it. I know when this thing's going to go off. And when I know that I'm close to that, I'll start my aim. Boom, I let it go. That's what it's meant for. Confusing, yes. I think that if you're a release shooter or somebody who just has a problem with serious punching, the click could help you. It's a heavy investment. It's like $299. If you're into that, you know, that um, instant gratification thing, it might help you. But if you don't do it the right way, you could be spending your money for nothing because if you don't learn it, like I'm telling you, learn to release you already have, it's not going to do you any good. It's just going to wind up in punching. You'll be selling it for half of what you bought it for. But I do think that that's going to help a lot of people as long as they understand how to use it. Do you have to take a separate training course to understand it? I think you should probably speak with a coach who knows what it's for and how to implement it into your shot. But to answer your question, just buying it and taking it out of the box, uh -uh, it's not going to help you unless you know what you're doing with it. So that'll do it for this topic. Like I said, I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions. We're going to go into our listener questions now. And we're going to start with this one from Mike K. from Brooklyn, who writes, right here in Brooklyn, New York, not far from me. Hi there. Great episodes as always. Thank you. Have a question about aiming at long distances. Remember, I cherry-picked these things based on the topic I'm doing. I started shooting about two years ago, and the local range is 20 yards indoor. I think I know where he's going. I had a chance for the first time to shoot longer distances at an outdoor range in Brooklyn. That would have to be Floyd Bennett. And after sighting in, had all kinds of problems hitting past 30. The instructor at the range I shoot at told me that I just need to concentrate harder and eventually I will be able to hit 40 after a while. Oh, boy. Well, I've been trying for two months now. 
no luck. Kudos to you for sticking with it. And that's exactly what I told him. All the instructors tell me the same thing. Just keep concentrating and focusing, but no go. Groups are barely hitting the target between 30 and 40. I just don't get it, and nothing is changing. What am I doing wrong? So it's like I wish I had psychic abilities where you say something like this, and believe it or not, he's given some information, but it's still kind of vague. But I wish I had the ability to say, okay, here's your solution. Go for it. But I don't. So I do what I always do. Take a video of you shooting from the front, from behind, from the side. Send it to me. And that video, I'll see everything that's going on, or at least I'll get an idea. But I did tell him, I said, listen, a couple of things. One, when you're shooting further distances, different things will take effect. How you're anchoring, how you're drawing, that whole thing. Remember what I said about framing? And your form floors will be magnified. But if you clean up how you're doing everything, you won't have flaws to magnify. So I took a look at his base problem. And after going through a couple of renditions of that video, looking at it, looking at it again, I asked him, I said, are you used to shooting at a bale that's higher than the floor or something like that? And he said, no, he's not. Typical. It's not a bad thing, but what happened in Mike's case is this. When he goes to the range, he usually shoots his target, sets his target up on the wall, on the, on the bale, on the low part of the bale. Well, when you go to the range that he went to, the bales are elevated. And when you do that, your arm position might change. In his case, when I had him take another video of how he shoots indoors as opposed to shooting outdoors, his arm position at, at initial draw was completely off. Had him correct that. Had him check a few other things. Showed him how to anchor properly, how to adjust, how to frame. He can shoot 35, 40 now. His groups are getting smaller because I told him, you have to concentrate on your float, accept the float, concentrate on burning your eyes into the target. And as you do that, you won't be scared of shooting a longer distance. Again, I always say, if you have confidence in what you're doing, it's going to work out. But if you're just hoping to hit the target at, say, 40 yards, that nervousness is going to screw you up. And fortunately, after going through a couple things with him, he's in good shape now, and he can't hit at 40 and getting better every day. So that one turned out well. Our second question comes from Jim C. from Austin, Texas. And he writes... Hi, Coach. Been listening for a while. Since I started listening to your tips, I, you've helped me and more than a few of my people in my group improve our scores and accuracy. Well, that's good to hear. I have been wanting to contact you for a while about a setup question. I became interested in, te- in attending a TAC event after hearing about them over a year ago. Oh, boy, why do I not like the way this one's going? And don't worry, it has a happy ending. Well, I started shooting longer distances, or at least trying to do so. I have a Hoyt with a basic four-pin sight that came with the package. 
I had some issues hitting at longer distances, and when I asked the guys at the shop, they said I needed a better sight to be more accurate. How many of you can hear the tiny sounds of my blood boiling at this point? So I bought a a Spot Hog Fast Eddie, and $400 later, there isn't any change. Take it to the next level with my blood boiling. They had talked up the aiming rings, etc., and how much easier it would make me to shoot 100 yards with it. Well, 50 is a dream for now, as I haven't been able to get a group bigger than what you call the stop sign on it. After asking the guys at the shop, all they keep saying is stick with it, you get better. How many times have you heard that? Stick with it, you'll get better. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing every time and expecting a different result. Basically what they're telling him. You are shooting with great equipment now, they say. I'm super frustrated and don't know what to do. In fact, my close range game is in the toilet too now. I couldn't hit tight groups at 20 since switching to this thing. I can't figure out what's going on, and I'm hoping you can point me in the right direction. Okay. First thing I have to say is $30 or $400 doesn't make a difference. Like they always say, it's in the shooter, it's in the form. All sites do exactly the same thing. Some have more bells and whistles. Some are adjustable, some are fixed, but they're all sights. So whether you have a rotating slider sight or one of those funky sights on an angle that they came out with, I hope they disappeared, whatever it is, you're still aiming with the pin. It's a sight. That's all it is. Switching sights to shoot longer distances may give you a little bit of advantage if they're going to get magnification on it or something like that. Might be a disadvantage if you can't handle the magnification on there. But just changing the sight is not going to change your game, people. You have to look at what else is going on. So I did the usual with him. Send me some pics, a video, let me see. And then I asked some questions. Did they level the sight? That was a rhetorical question. Because the first thing people do is they see something on on YouTube. Oh, the site's not level. That's the problem. No, it ain't. In his case, he's shooting on level ground. Whether it's level or not, that won't make a damn difference. If you're shooting up or down, yes, it will. He's shooting flat level ground. Flat level ground, the site leveling has zero to do with it. If you're always leveling the same way, at 20 yards, it's always going to hit the same place. Further out you go, you do the same thing. Now, if the third axis is off or something like that, the further you go out, some stuff can get affected because the more you're looking out, the more it's going to move, that sort of thing. But I digress. I asked if he did any walk-back tuning with the bow. The answer to that one was no. So herein lies the big problem. Yes, shooting at 10 is the same thing as shooting as 100. However, I preface that by saying your equipment has to be properly set up or you're going to have problems. Why? If your center shot is off, say it's off to the left, the further you go out, the more and more left it's going to be. But if you think about it, just because it's going more and more left, 
it should still group in the same place as long as you're hitting on the target. Now, the further you go, it's going to be off the target eventually. So, he did the walk-back tuning as I explained it to him. Fixed the center shot problem. Now he's hitting the target at different distances. Okay? So, we've addressed why he wasn't connecting with the target. Now he can hit the target. I explained to him, hold your group together, do exactly the same thing you've always been doing, concentrate on the spot. So we got him shooting to about 40 or 50 yards, and he's got about a softball-sized group. He's doing really good. But then I had to address the problem. What happens at 20 yards? Why can't you shoot at 20 yards anymore? And it was, again, the way he's adjusting his arm and all that. So we went through that, cleared all that up. But he did say he was going to shoot 3D for the first time. Well, here's a problem. If you never shot 3D before, attack is not the place to start. Go grab yourself a blind piece of paper. Start doing that. At least your transition, if you can't get to another another um, 3D target, it's not going to be as bad. Learn how to target a spot where there is no aiming reference. Now he can go back. He starts shooting 20 yards, and after fixing his form issue where he was adjusting the wrong way, he's back, and he's good as gold. Is he going to be ready for a tack shoot? They have shorter distance ranges in those tack shoots. I told him, start small. Work your way up. I don't care if you're just shooting there and it's younger kids shooting there. Do you really want to lose all your arrows? No. You want to practice. You want to have a good experience. and You want to do everything the right way. And as you get more and more proficient with keeping your form tight, your aiming tight, you'll be able to shoot longer distances. It may not happen right away. It might take a couple of times. It might take a couple of weeks of practice. But you will get there. And everything worked out for him. And now he's good to go. Which leads me to this week's, this month's, whatever you want to call it. I don't remember how long ago the last one was. Don't be that guy. I think I mentioned one like this before, but this one is focused on the end user. You see, I always preach, don't be that guy when it comes to salespeople who preys on the unsuspecting customer claiming that a product is a cure for a shooting ailment. Remember what I said, people are into instant gratification. They're going to be vulnerable to someone saying, listen, if you get this, 100 times better shooting and all that. Kind of what happened to Jim there, and he bought their line. So obviously, as a salesperson, that's not a good thing to do. (coughs) But as I said, this week's Don't Be That Guy has to do with the customer. You yourself are responsible for your purchases and how you're doing things. That should start before you ever go to a, to a shop or anything like that. Or, hey, my buddy got this. It's got to be the best thing. No. Do your research on it. See what it really is. And accept the following. Just because you're purchasing this thing, it doesn't mean it's a magic cure to your shooting problems. Like I said, as much as the sales guy plays a part in the bad deed of overselling something, you also do a bad deed in trying to seek out a shortcut to your problem. Now, if you're into a feature of something that you like about it, great. 
But if you're only buying this thing because you believe the hype and the hubbub and all that, don't be that guy who gets fooled into believing it. It's your hard-earned money. And actually, if we want to be very, very open about it, sometimes buying these newfangled stuff make you shoot worse. So instead of that instant gratification, you get instant screwed. And that's crazy. Well, I saw it on YouTube. There's about 200 videos about this thing. Yeah, people being paid to say that. Of course. It's a brand new release. And and I saw this pro using it like, you just said the word. Pro. All they do is shoot for a living. They know how to use anything. You take a $200 bow, stick it in Dave Cousins' hand. He'll win a tournament with it. A $5,000 rig is not that big of a difference to him. Sure, he might score a couple points less. He'll still win with it. He'll definitely beat you with it. Instant gratification, trying to be the know-it-all, does not work. See what the actual difference in this product is going to be. And think about it for yourself. What is it giving me that I don't already have? Don't be the guy who just takes whatever someone says for word of law, because like if he says it, it must be true. People try to sell things. If you're a person who has a particular need and what you have in your equipment is not working for you and they come out with something that you think might work, try it before you buy it. This click release that just came out, try it. See if it works for you. If they don't want to let you try it, don't buy it. Don't be the guy who's gullible or the girl or the child, anything. Don't spend your money on something that you don't understand or don't need in quest of doing something as a shortcut. Work hard and things will come to you. Doesn't mean you can't buy new stuff, but when you buy it, you have to have a purpose for it. And the purpose is like, I like this feature or something like that. Then it's worth it. But buying it just to shortcut something is not. So you see, I didn't get all that worked up over the don't be that guy. It's not that bad this this week. I promise a worse one for next week. We'll see what happens with that. So before we close, I want to start by doing a new little segment here it's called shout outs and what we're doing is i try to recognize a new product that came out again i don't take sponsorships so don't look at me i'm not being paid to say anything a new product or a new place that i've been to that could be of an advantage to somebody so i'll just say this when you're coming to shoot at a range okay you need to find some place that's friendly, some place where the people are knowledgeable, and that you're going to have a good time. You're not going to somewhere for a headache. So one of the places that I go with my girls to shoot on Sundays is Queen's Archery, Flushing or Bayside. I forget which actual area it is. But you can look up Queen's Archery online. If you're in the New York area, they have tournaments every Sunday. Well run. Timing is impeccable. And the people who work there, particularly Vicky, she's the nicest person in the world. She'll help you with anything. 
so will Rob. Al is one of the most notable people that's been around forever, and he's the owner over there. You can ask him anything, same way. The idea is it's one of those places where you can go there not be intimidated by everybody. I don't see a lot of attitude problems over there, nothing like that. We shoot in a tournament there. We try to go as many weeks as possible when we don't have outdoor tournaments going on on Sunday, and it's always a good time. So if you're in the New York area, you want to try a great range, I suggest you go there. So that'll do it for this week's episode, this month's episode. No, there'll be another one coming soon, before the end of the month. And as always, you can subscribe to the podcast. It's where you become alerted to new episodes. Check our YouTube channel and our Instagram for some shorts coming up soon. Email us. Let us know if you have questions, what you want to see in future episodes. We're going to start recording video episodes uh, on site. Like when we go to a tournament or something like that, I think it'll be a lot of fun. We're just going to try that. But again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. The website is highpowerarchery.com. You can leave us a message there. We'll get back to you right away. You can email us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. Either way, I answer all the emails, and there is always a lot of them. So don't think we won't answer you. We will. So until next time, it, like we say, it's never goodbye. It's just until we see you again. And until then, stay safe and shoot straight. <laughs>